IT has been asserted that the noun bunkum is first cousin to the verb to bunk. If so, the dealer in bunkumisms disdains the connection until matters grow too hot for him at the end of a performance, when, as a last resource, he hugs his relative gladly. Covered affection this, and in order to shelter himself from the righteous wrath of the audience, achieves a flying bunk from the platform. The word bunkum is interesting. It is defined in the dictionary as speech spoken merely to please one's supporters or constituents and secure their votes mere talk. It originates from Buncombe, a district in North Carolina, with a constituency, to please whom a member of theirs once boasted he made a speech in Congress. Buncombe covers a wider field than science, woman's suffrage, or politics. It is an autocrat that stands aloof and demands the gentle hearts of Greenhorn and sage alike for its sacrificial fires. It endeavors to prove that the age of miracles has not been choked out of existence beneath the widespread fingers of civilization, or how could an orange be transformed before our eyes into a cauliflower, an egg into a peeled potato? The bunkum entertainer molds the brains of the most iron-headed cynic into putty, and transforms the scoffing jeers of the know-all schoolboy into humble admiration. He is a quack sorcerer, and, even while we designate him as such, we are obliged to own that his art is steeped in deepest mystery. The bunkum entertainer is a parasite, a cartoonist, and mimic, a smooth-tongued, and scrupulous rascal, who deserves the conscientious entertainer, who never tries bunkum because he is too stupid and well-headed, so has it to be banished to a desert island and served to cannibals as minced donkey flesh a la bunkum. He is the sort of man who borrows five-pound notes, gold watches, and diamond rings from his audience and forgets to return them. He cheats, deludes, patters, lies by the yard, swallows enough solid materials to furnish a warehouse, and give an ostrich indigestion. He is tough and brazen, and cheaply cynical at the expense of the authentic conjurer, juggler, phrenologist, ventriloquist, seer, and spiritualist. He is the cuckoo of society. He concocts a potpourri of brains and wit, and offers it as his own, and yet, in spite of it all, how fascinating and overwhelming is his personality. He is the fool of the world the jester who prances about in cap and bells, who causes our sides to ache in our futile effort to keep our risibilities decorously pitched. Never did a folly play pitch and toss with the pedantic phrases of solemn courtiers, kings and prelates, as ably and irreverently as this monster incarnate with the five senses of mankind. He is wrapped in mystery. We regard him with awe and wonder, the curtains, the table, the walls, the footlights are his faithful agents. We gaze at the rabbit popping up from his hat, the watch flicked through a pistol barrel to the wall, the inane jack of diamonds darting from his mouth to the back of his coat, in trembling amazement of his cunning. We whisper to our beating hearts, can such things be? At that instant he throws aside the cloak of secrecy and shows us his glaring infidelity. He has not, as we supposed, ruptured and mastered every law of gravitation and nature. He has simply been dealing in the art of bunkum, and, when he reveals his methods to us, as he never fails to do in a continuous prattle of artless confidence, we see or we think we see that it is all child's play and foolish absurdity.
The rabbit has not been suddenly created, full-grown, in the crown of his immaculate silk hat. It owes its mild behavior to constant discipline, its sleek coat to cabbage leaves. Like Topsy, like all other bipeds, quadrupeds, and aquatic creatures it has simply growed. Its cage is behind the stage, to which it will presently be spirited away, to rest in peace after its labors. When we discover this we become very wide awake, very cute. We will see through the next trick or perish in the attempt. Alas! Alas! For a righteous determination, once again we are deluded and snared. The table performs a giddy reel, the watch of the confiding benign bald-headed gentleman in the corner is shattered before our eyes and with a thrill of horror we strain our necks to gaze in his direction in order to witness the anticipated apoplectic seizure. The gentleman, however, remains stolidly non-committal. My young schoolboy eyes observe a widening of the gills, a compression of the lower jaw that bodes ill for the entertainer if he does not make good the loss, and a few minutes after he is bidden of the smiling performer to look in his pocket, and, lo and behold, the monogrammed watch, which we are ready to swear we saw him pass to the platform, dangles safely from the end of the chain spanning his stomach. The shattered timepiece, we are told glibly, was only a base imitation in tin and glass. But how, where, in what manner? Queries my boyish soul, steeped in perplexity, and, by and by, the monster answers all these questions as if he read that inner inquisitive voice so satisfactorily that I go home and try the trick before an admiring circle of friends, borrowing my maiden aunt's watch for the purpose, she being quite unaware that I have its thrippany duplicate in my pocket. An exhibition of skill which cannot fail to win appreciation from any audience, particularly one composed largely of grown-ups, is that of making lightning cartoons and sketches. It is, however, a form of entertainment which should be undertaken only by those possessing some artistic qualifications. Although lightning cartoons do not call for any great genius, yet those with an inherent taste for caricaturing will find themselves the best exponents of the work. On the other hand, the task may be undertaken by any youth with even a moderate knowledge of drawing, because by the observation of the few rules hereafter indicated, quite passable and pleasing results may be obtained. The apparatus required is simple and easy to procure. The first essential is a cheap easel, which can be purchased for 50 cents from any art store. To give it a presentable appearance for a drawing room entertainment, it should be stained with any oak or mahogany composition. The next requisite is a large drawing board. Half a dozen large sheets of cheap cartridge paper should also be procured. These latter may be fixed to the drawing board by nails driven firmly into the top right and left-hand corners in such a manner that each sheet can easily be removed after it has been drawn upon. The media employed for plain black and white drawings are thick sticks of charcoal or soft crayon. It should be borne in mind that as lightning sketching permits of no erasures, each subject must be thoroughly committed to memory before a public demonstration on the paper is attempted. The best subjects for a beginner to attempt in black chalk or crayon are caricatures of celebrities, those selected all possessing some particularly marked or prominent feature, e.g., the late Mr. Gladstone, 
with his remarkable forehead, striking nose, and the characteristic high collar. Idiosyncrasies of well-known people should also be seized upon, for instance, the eyeglass and orchid so universally associated with Mr. Joseph Chamberlain. It will be found that if these peculiarities are properly portrayed and accentuated, but very few strokes of the crayon will suffice to produce an unmistakable likeness. The budding cartoonist should also bear in mind that boldness of execution is essential, the strokes being put to paper with free and large sweeps of the hand. The subjects intended to be drawn must be selected beforehand, the order of their appearance also being prearranged. To obtain the correct mental picture of each character or subject, it is at first recommended to attempt only heads. Let the young cartoonist first procure a pronouncedly good photograph, in profile preferably, and copy this in detail, gradually omitting half-tones or shadings until the likeness is apparent when only the minimum of strokes is used. As soon as the ability to do this has been thoroughly acquired, the outlines should be drawn again and again until the hand has become so accustomed to the correct presentation of the portrait that it can draw it off in a second or two. The lightning cartoonist must live up to his reputation for speed. Now, to treat with the order in which the various features and leading characteristics are to be drawn in. A start is generally made with the curve above the nose, taking the stroke down and round to the nostril, then the upper lip, mouth, and chin, if possible, without breaking the line. Next take the chalk and draw the crown of head and curve of forehead, beginning at the right hand top of head, presuming the face to be in profile to the left. With a sweeping stroke draw in either the outline of the hair or bald head, coming back to the forehead and finishing at the point from which the start was made. Now, leaving the outline of the face, return to the point at which the curve for the hair or head was started, and bring round another bold sweep down into the nape of the neck. Shading may be put in according to judgment. The eye must next receive attention, afterwards the ear, and, lastly, the collar or any other distinguishing mark.